Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we will explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football yeah. I'm the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Swick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. And I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine. And I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150 years of football history and memorabilia. And you can find us on the web at GridironGreatsMagazine.com. It's at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He is a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, <laughs> and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larkin. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squire, Joe, welcome to the show. Uh, Captain, so happy to be here again. I've been having a little bit of football withdrawal the last couple of weeks. Been a while, Joe. It's been a while. We're in March already, and uh, the football card and memorabilia market never takes a break. It's yep. 24-7, 365, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> There's never a day off from it. You do. Yeah, you gotta you gotta really keep your wits about you. I, I, there's been times where I've missed a week of looking on stuff, and then found out something I've been watching, you know, trying to find for a couple of years came up in that one time. So it's a little a uh, little addictive, but yeah, I know, you know what I mean. You gotta you gotta look at it twenty four seven three sixty five. You know, yep. and all kidding aside, I know a lot of people like you and I who basically do look at auctions, eBay, other uh, sites looking for stuff. Use of stuff that we're trying to find. Uh, and again, like you say, too, it's the one day we don't look at something. It's there. Yeah. And oops, it's, it's gone. Yeah. But anyways, it's good to be back, good to be talking. Tonight, we're going to have a open forum, and we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. And, Joe, I'm going to have you lead off with uh, uh, talking about a real tough 1935 National Chickle Card that's currently at auction. Lead it off. Oh, oh boy. PWCC, Brett, I believe his last name is pronounced Hoogians, or Huggins, or uh, whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, PWCC uh, has a uh, one of the hardest cards in the 35 Chickle set up for auction right now. A PSA 8, 1935 Chickle, card number 27, Flavio Bull Tosi. Uh, and I remember when I was putting this set together, that card was probably the most elusive card out there. Uh, 
And uh, back then it was a pop four in a PSA eight. This one that just hit is the fifth in a PSA eight. It's by far the uh, least populous uh, chickle card in the set. Real, real tough one. And I absolutely love seeing it come up. It, it, it's, it's okay looking. Corners look good. Right side's a little, uh, little on the light side. But, uh, hey, these things happen, you know. All right, let me put you let me put you on the spot early in the program. Your theory behind why Bull is such a tough pick as far as in better grade. You know, I've, I've been on the I've been on the hunt forever for a uh, for an uncut chuck or uh, uncut uh, chickle, uh, you know, sheet. I, I would okay. somebody yeah. the other day asked, it, it, yeah. Somebody the other asked, like, what, what would you pretty much trade anything in your set for? And the answer was a 35 chickle uncut sheet. That would be the, you know, no matter what it takes, this, this thing's ending up in my collection. Uh, and so should I, should I pull out mine and send them to you and see what we can come up with? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Captain, if, if that was the case. Uh, but 36 36 cards in this set, and uh, the other, the other sets, you know, from this era, you know, the you know the non non sports sets, you know, made by made by Chickle, were all one sheet. So, we imagine these were you know four four uh, four rows of nine. Boltosi's number 27, which would put him in the lower left corner. Uh, that's my theory. Lower left corner, upper left, you know, any of the four corners. You know, get get the crap kicked out of them, uh, centering and et cetera. You know, just working their way through the machine. Uh, I'm looking right now at the population report. There are uh, Luke John Luke Johnsus. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, but uh, we'd have we'd have to yeah we'd have to get John Span on here to you know, pronounce that popular or properly. But uh, has eight PSA fives as, or five PSA eights as well as Boltosi, but for some reason, mm-hmm. I've seen more examples of that. Boltosi is just—it's hard in any, in 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 any shape, in in any grade. It's just a tough card. So you know, it's a, it's amazing. It's amazing to me because again, I, I know we talked about this on the, on shows previous to this. In a span of probably 25 years, it was probably a good. Oh, actually, let me take that back. I, I'm looking at my notes now. My first trickle I picked up was back in 1988. And I put together part of the set on three separate occasions, only to sell it off on three separate occasions. And I've never yeah. owned one. I've never owned one cozy card in my, my, um, in all my uh, pieces that I've been, all sets I've been trying to put together. Yeah. I've never, wow. I've never found one. I, you know, and again, my stuff was raw, so I would have taken, you know, fair good for any high number, but I've never, I never saw one. I just never saw one. I've seen a couple graded, but I never saw one raw. Wow. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, the only one I ever had in my set was probably about six or seven years ago. Uh, I believe it was legendary at the time, had a grouping of ungraded chickles that were thrown into a box and. As you're looking through the scans, I realized one of them was toasty. It was pretty high grade. It was good looking. So I bought the set. And, you know, to know what was in there, you would have had to really read the details and send it off to get grade and came back a solid PSA 5. I mean, it probably should have been wow. a 6. And wow. I kept it. I mean, it was a really nice looking 5. But, yeah, tough, tough set. You know, for, you know, for an example, there, you know, there's now five bull toasties. There's five, you know, Luke Johnsons. There are six Nagurskis. So you talk about the rarity of Nagurski. Uh, right. You know, the, to- the Tosi is even rarer than that. So I like I like to tell people with a wink and a smile, he's the Zeke Bratkowski of the 35 Chickle set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I mean, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously I can see Nagurski, but when you're looking at it, basically a, a common uh, for a guy that yeah. really didn't have that great great of a career and then pay that kind of money yeah. in a you know in that kind of condition, I go, holy mackerel! You know that, that's uh, 
I, I don't know. It's tough to do. It's tough to pull the trigger on something like that. And yeah. that was always my that was always my issue with the thirty five chickles, because I always said to myself, okay, I, I basically am going to put the up the high uh, number cards in much lesser condition. And I really didn't have any, yeah. you know, uh, the, the, the couple high numbers I've had over the years would be lucky if they graded a PSA two or three at the most type of thing. So why put that kind of money in oh, wow. that kind of card? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, there are four days left on this auction, and it's already just broken the $4,000 mark. Uh, wow. I reckon this this is an eight to $10,000 card. Uh, depends yeah. on who's looking okay. and when. I, 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 would, I would say I'd go out on a limb. I would say it might end up 10 plus with the, uh, the premium on it and, and everything. I can really see yeah. that happening with that card. And yeah, uh, actually, a, what, what, what we'll do is when uh, the, the auction is over, and uh, the next time we have our podcast, we'll talk a little bit about it just to see where it ended up, yeah. and we'll see how how and, far uh, off or, or on we were on. And and then as we were talking before the show, PWCC has quite a few uh, quite a few forty eight leaves. Looks like it's a set break, a pretty high. You know, pretty high grade sevens and eights. Uh, and then as I was as I was going through, just clicking on them, I was just shaking my head. Just there's a there's a uh, Charlie Trippy, you know, card number twenty nine. That's a PSA seven. That is mm-hmm. just so, so the sides are so trimmed. It's just it 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 makes me smile and it makes me cry all in one fell swoop because it's just such a bad sting to the hobby to see a card to you know. You know, and why, you why can't they get their act together on these trim cards? Why? I mean, what, what's the problem? I, I really like to know. What is the problem for them to see that the card is obviously trimmed? It's it's a big ticket, you know, card one way or the other, and and there and there's no rhyme or reason as far as as far as what's being greeted out there. It, it just really bothers me. Really bothers me. Ditto, and especially with the leaf set, you know, you know, as we've talked about before, it's just that that it's a set I still collect. You know, I used to collect it in pretty high grade, and then I just saw the ruinization of the set with just you know high grade, obvious trimmed cards, and just knew it was diluting my set. So, and I I now collect a set in PSA five, six, and seven, and just fat bordered beauties. I mean, I should almost change the name of my set to fat bordered beauties, but you know. Um, my favorite yeah, card yeah. in the set, the uh, the Charlie Choo Choo Justice. And I don't know why it's my favorite, but it's just there's a PSA eight up, but it looks like the left border's trimmed on it, and it's just it's, it's I refuse to buy something that's trimmed. My favorite card mm-hmm. in a great grade, and it's trimmed. Charlie Choo Choo Justice. I wonder where he got that nickname. We need to do a show on it. So that. it's 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 uh it, to me it's just uh, it's just it's not right. It really isn't, and and really, you know, PSA really needs to address it one way or the other. I, I you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, stand on a soapbox here and, and lecture anybody. But you know, for for the hobby itself, and for people who are trying to buy grade, they're only concerned about grade, not realizing in this case, you know, to me, it's a false grade, to say the least. You know. Yeah. Good point. No, there's a. Uh... It's tough. I was just going through, and I was I was uh, watching. You know, the, you know, I probably have about fifty cards in this auction coming up that I'm watching, and uh, you know, one of them I'm inter- I'm interested in, and the other forty nine I'm just more morbidly curious. You know, it's just it's it's too mm-hmm. bad. Ah oh, well, oh well. That's cr- that's uh, crazy. That's crazy. And, and then, uh, like you and I were talking about, it's tis the season. Uh, it's auction house season. We've got about six auction houses lined up that are in the middle of uh, auctions right now or lined up, you know, like uh, airplanes taxiing to the runway, ready to take off. And uh, and I love this. A lot of, you hear a lot of people talking about auction overload. No such thing to me. I love seeing the products come into market. And I, I, I absolutely love getting the catalogs and the smell of the fresh ink. And, you know, I got my REA catalog the other day. Got an email from Love of the Game talking about their up-and-coming auction, uh, you know, and uh, BST sent out an email talking about some items coming up. So, I mean, you've got, uh, you know, the advertisements coming out, and 
uh, the, the catalogs being mailed. It's just, it's like, you know, it's like Christmas and, you know, in March. It's awesome for us football collectors. Well, you know, there's a lot of different arguments pro and con as far as, you know, the number of auctions at one time, so on and so forth. We both get, and I'm sure most of our listeners get uh, the email from auction report, uh, which gives a list of all the different auctions out. And I, I try to take some time looking at a few things, you know, here and there. I don't go through every auction because I just don't have the time. But I, I yeah. you know, look at it. I look at it to a certain degree. You know, there is some overload on, on what's going on. And again, you know, we talk about how many serious collectors are out there. We could we could argue, yeah. you know, there's thousands, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Well, maybe there really isn't. It's just it's just a small group of individuals who are bidding against one another <laughs> for, for some of these, you know, better cards type of thing. For example, the the Tozy. You know, how many people are going to go up on that? Maybe a half a dozen. I don't know. I mean, I, it, it it depends type of situation. So I understand where you're coming from, saying saying that it's you know it's a, it's a positive that all we're seeing all this different um, these different auctions here and there. But at the same time, uh, you know, again, I've, I've said this for the past few years. Are we on overload? I mean, literally, there's so many different auction houses out there. Good grief! How do you know? How do you really keep track of it? Type of situation. <laughs> I, uh, I I I don't know. We we, we touched briefly on this, but what's the name of that site? Auction Report. Uh, I really love Auction Report. They're uh, they're not an advertiser for anybody listening, but it's auctionreport.com, and uh, you know the different auction houses. Uh, you know, advertise with them, and on the right hand side are you know blue hyperlinks to the auction, and they're in chronological order of when they're when when they're ending. And it's just, uh, I kind of use auction or, I mean, uh, you know, right. friends of mine, you know, you know, BST or, you know, love the game. I, I go right to their websites came, you know, to save them click fees, you know, through there, but you know, everybody else, right. uh, you know, it's great. I mean, uh, so that's how I keep track of them. But you know, what, what I do find myself doing is accidentally going to the same auction and, you know, traipsing through the, you know, the offerings several times. So I tend to keep a, I keep a notepad, you know, at my desk at home where I kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, okay, you know, mile high is the next one up. Uh, it ends, you know, March 21st, which is tomorrow. Uh, right. You know, I kind of make a list, make a list of what I'm bidding on, what I'm interested in there. So I don't, you know, I don't, so I don't forget about it and accidentally go through, you know, and start looking again. But, you know, yeah, mile high has got a couple. Uh, they're always good for a couple really high quality items. Uh, I've got an SGC 96 yeah. Newt Rockney. Uh, you know, several PSA 857 tops cards, including the Unitas and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and others. Uh, so they've, they've got a, a lot of 70s unopened, 78, 79, which I love. I, just, I keep getting enamored with, you know, I, I love the look of all this unopened. I just don't trust it. it it's so it's so hard. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm so torn seeing all this unopened because I love it. And it brings back a rush of memories, but you know, so many people we've talked to yeah, you know, guesstimate about fifty percent of it's bad. Exactly, exactly, and that's and that's again the problem with with the unopened market, which which basically, you know, right now you got basically you only have one dealer technically who's the expert on on un, unopened items, so you have to take his word on it, yada yada yada, and at the same time, you know, I look at. I look at some of the stuff I still have in my collection that's unopened and try to compare it to what I see if I go to a show or whatever type of thing. And it's tough. It's really tough. And, you know, and when you're seeing rewraps of 81, 82 and 86, yeah. because, yeah, because of, because of the rookies in those, you know, the Montana, the Rices, the Marinos, so, or 84 also, Elway and Marino, you know, there's something, yeah. you know, there's something definitely wrong seeing that kind of stuff. That really doesn't make any sense. You know, other than to try to make a profit and pull a fast one, type of situation. But uh, it who was I talking? Getting, to? You know, you, you you see like a you know a you know a fifty dollar card, and you're like that looks trimmed. Who the hell is out there wasting their time trimming a fifty dollar card? Uh, right. I remember asking right. a dealer that once, and I'm like, well, why would somebody waste their time? You know, trying to you know trying to trim like you know a you know and you know get a, a card from a you know, a five to a six and 48 leaf, you know, 50 to $70 card. And he was like, well, if it, 
if it takes him 10 minutes and he turns a you know $5 card into a $50 card, so it takes him 15 minutes and he makes $40 on it, that's that's a pretty good hourly rate. And uh, we're, like, oh, we're, all right, we're, you know, I mean, assuming he's got to get graded, et cetera, so. Yeah, it's just it's just it's a shame because it it's really doesn't it hurts the hobby in the long run, but at the same time, again, people or collectors who are desperate to put together an unopened pack run will do anything just to get that one pack, so on and so forth. Yeah, and yeah. you know, it, and it's it's just not worth it. It's just really not worth it to, to say the least. And to me, there's no fun, and this is just me seeing an unopened pack encapsulated, knowing that you never can. You're never going to break it open because you know you're going to lose all the value of what you paid for it in the first place. So that that really doesn't make a lot of sense either. But it is what it is. It's the way the market is, and uh, not much we can do about it other than really be smart as far as looking at something that's unopened or not unopened. Yeah, totally. That's the same. You know, totally. Uh, yeah, but it is sad. It's like uh, you know, I I think we talked about this last week, but you know, just the. Uh, you know, I get you know gave you a '65 Philly pack, you know, for your for your birthday yeah, at the national, yeah. you know, you know five, six, seven years ago. Gosh, we're getting old, and uh, you know, and you you opened it and you turned to me midway through like this is this is uh, resealed, uh, you know the you know the the poster was supposed to go like this and it didn't, and uh, you know it was GAI encapsulated and graded, and it was just it just that that just that started to reinforce everything. You know, that's yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. It's the same thing, you know. If, if you know, when you find to me finding a pack from the '60s, it has to be clean, and it's, it is such a risk involved, and it's not even funny. But again, like we said, it is what it is, and that's it. I still had a lot of good memories opening that pack that night, so um, you know, it was definitely fun. I remember, and I don't think you were there, but the um, or actually you were there in uh, Baltimore. And I opened a uh, 76 wax pack, and I just got a bunch of commons out of it, and that was it. But I knew that was, I knew that was a, a good pack because I had bought it and I just put it away for years, and um, oh. and I knew, I, I knew it was it was a good pack one way or the other. You know, I look back at it now, I could have I could have put it out of a show and you know possible painting rookie, but you know, this is what it is, type of thing. And I vaguely remember when I opened up the 76 wax boxes. There weren't a lot of Peyton rookies in the box. I vaguely remember there was only like two or three, because again he didn't become red hot until a few years later, and then I started going back into my inventory at the time and said, and I think I had maybe two or three. Obviously, one for my son. I had a couple of traders at the time. So, uh, but is what it is. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's but some good. Uh, I'll rattle off a couple of the auctions coming up. You know, that we wanted to talk about. Mile high ends tomorrow, like I said. Some good 57 tops in there, some unopened. Uh, Huggins and Scott, which I really look forward to Huggins and Scott. I've always dug that building or that, uh, you know, that auction house. Uh, they, uh, you know, they're usually good for one or two, just like, holy crap, you know, where the hell did they get that card uh, kind of thing. You know, I got my, uh, you know, I, I got my uh, you know, 46 Sears uncut sheet from them. A uh, couple, you know, about five six years ago, they sold the they sold a forty nine Silbers, you know, YA Tittle card, which was the first one I'd seen of it. God doesn't have much coming up. Uh, then ending on the same day, Robert Edward Auctions, the uh, you know the, the the Sparkle Pony of the industry. REA's got a lot of good stuff. Uh, you know, whenever I see a uh, sixty five tops Joe Namath rookie, I can't help but think of you, Captain. So they've got a PSA 8 Mammoth rookie coming up. Uh, 33 Sports King, PSA 8, uh, Jim Thorpe and Red Grange. They're a little off center, a uh, little little bit left to right, but still good-looking cards. Uh, you know, again, REA's got some, some really nice, you know, uh, uncut sheets, which, you know, everybody keep their hands off and call them dibs on it, uh, just saying. And uh, mm-hmm. some unopened. I mean, it's just, it's a good swath of football and REA, you know, as, as you know, really leans baseball. So it's, it's kind of nice to see them get some, get some good quality football in, you know, Brian, Brian Dwyer out there pounding the pavement, you know, you know, knuckle dragging with us football guys. I like it. <laughs> well, I, I, I really think eventually what what's happening is the, 
um, you know, as as these auction houses evolve even more, mature more, they're still getting a lot yeah. more material in than they did before. So, and a lot more, and again, a collector stops collecting. He's trying to figure out where to go, where to get, you know, get the highest prices for his material. He may break up his, his collection to two to three auction houses. You never know, you know, that type of thing. So it's, it's, it's got to be broken. That. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's got to really be thought out for a collector, especially an advanced collector who has the sheets, who has the, um, you know, the unopened material, who has the, you know, a PSA name or has a whatever PSA Bowman set type of thing. It's, it's really got to be thought out as far as where they bring that material to and what they realistically think they're going to get for, the, for that material at the same time. So, so yeah. a, lot, a lot of factors involved. A lot of factors involved if somebody's selling their collection at the same time. And, again, I've, I've advised quite a few collectors over the years who were getting ready to sell, you know, ad, advising them on, on what area and, and what, they, what they needed to look at and, and to do with that type yeah. of thing. So, so that's important. It's important, to say the least. Yeah, and it's funny. I guess I never really, uh, you know, whenever I have something I want to sell, I tend to reach out to the people that I know the best. Not, I, I, I never really would have considered taking, a, you know, a, a big collection and breaking it up to several auction houses. I just, I guess, I guess I don't have that type of, you know, collection anymore. And uh, I, I, I like having one throat to choke when it comes to, you know, all that stuff. Right, right. Right, so it's a, you know it's a it's a big question, and again with so many different auction houses out there, you really got to think about what what you're you know what you're going to do with it. I'll use one example just to throw it out. Uh, several years ago, a couple of former Packers um, passed away, and they used a uh, auction house in the greater Green Bay area to sell uh-huh. off their material, and uh, to me it was just it was just so. So poor, it wasn't even funny, because again, the family doesn't know what to do. The local people are there; they trust the local people. But you know, if you didn't really, you really didn't search, you would have no idea that the stuff was for sale. And there was a lot of nice stuff that that uh, you know really sold very, very uh, cheaply. Because to me, it wasn't advertised correctly, and it, and it wasn't going to a, a sports type auction house. You know, you're talking about a general auctioneer. Uh, trying to sell this stuff, and it's very difficult, even though they're local. You know what I mean? So it's an issue to to say the least. So yeah, uh, we've not, seen it before where people do send good material to the wrong auction house. Or yeah, I guess you're right. right. I right. never, I, I guess I've never really considered that. Is is there a wrong auction house? Because it seems like, you know, uh, you know, for me, like a prerequisite would be okay. You got you got to pop smoke on where the collectors go. Uh, you have to have a good mailing list, and you know. I mean, for me, almost the minimum playing stakes would be, uh, you know, you know, you got to be on auction report. I mean, and you know, I, I I think you're going to see one of these days a lot of auction houses going away from printed uh, catalogs, you know, or I think well, I forget that's, that's just, just that's like, just because that's because the cost of printing and the mailing of it is is becoming uh, you know a, a true big expense now. Especially with, oh, yeah. with mail costs, you know. Oh yeah. Well, somebody was telling me that they are going to start offering, uh, like, if you you have to go onto their website catalog, uh, right? And if you if you opt out of receiving a catalog, you get a five dollar discount on shipping in the next auction. Uh, right. You know, so, you know that that's pretty good because uh, I'm to the point where. I'm seeing auctions come up on, on uh, you know, on auction report before I'm getting the catalog. So by the time I get right. the catalog, I've already checked the auction out. So perhaps if I received catalogs a little earlier, it might be of interest, but I've got a memory lane catalog sitting here on my desk unopened. Where's memory mm-hmm. lane on here? March 16th, April 16th. Yeah, I've already looked at memory lane. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I guess I'm going to open this right now. See what, see what we got. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a question because it it is much more expensive to print today, much more expensive to mail, especially. 
the mailing costs have are, are gotten really high. I know mailing GG, Gridiron Greats Magazine, has increased with the last postage jump that we had. And again, you know, everything's a cost. It is, you know, when you're spending a couple thousand dollars just on postage, you know, you got to try to make that up along the way. So being in business, we're both in business, we both know, you know, you can only absorb so many, so much in costs, and that's it, without it eating yep. it into your, into your business. So it's it's problematic. Yeah. I I really don't have a problem with online stuff, but I I'll take it to the opposite. I know there's many many older subscribers to Gridiron Greats Magazine who tell me all the time and tell Brenda all the time, we look forward to getting the printed magazine in the mail four times a year. We enjoy reading it. We're not, you know, we're computer savvy, but we're not. But we don't want to, you know, sit in our favorite chair and curl up with the computer to try to read the magazine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So oh, that, yeah. that is, that's a real issue as the hobby grows and the hobby grows older, you know. Well, and your, your magazine's a little different. And I, I wanted to comment, uh, we're kind of a mea culpa, it costs a lot to ship that ship gridiron grades, especially when your your co-host has didn't update his mailing address and you have to ship it twice. Uh, but I digress, <laughs> Captain. <laughs> yeah, and for our listeners, unfortunately, that that happens a little too often, not just with you, but with other people. And but I have many nice subscribers who write in advance or call me and just say, "Hey, I moved." I forgot to tell oh, you. Yeah. Just please, let, yeah, please let me know. That's all. That's really all I ask. I, really yeah, you I know, ask. I, I've lived in my house for about almost two years. Coming up on about, uh, yeah, coming up on about two years, and uh, it's been getting delivered, been getting forwarded, but it hits a spot where the <laughs> post office stopped forwarding it. Uh, you know, yeah, especially yeah. when it's uh, media like that. And uh, so I got a text yeah. from Bob. You know, kind of a, you know, hey man, my <laughs> got returned, and I'm. I, th- I think you were we were talking about something else, like about you know frustrations in the hobby. And also, like, and this is frustrating. I'm like, gosh, that's great. I'm adding to the frustration of the ambassador of football. I, I definitely right. want to be right. your good you side. You got it. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> but hey, uh, yeah, move, so move, this move, to, move it to a slightly different subject, and something we had talked about um, in the past. In I always wanted to have a show on TV which is similar to American Pickers, and I would call it, you know, whatever, United States Football Pickers or whatever, something. And I would go around the country and pick for football and football-related items. Yeah. So as we both know, we, we share stories with all about our picks and everything. Yeah, and I know you you know you know the story coming up now. A few of our listeners know it. Yeah, but I want to share it with people who don't know what happened. Um, about a good two weeks now ago, uh, Brenda said we were both off on a Friday, and she suggested uh, we go to the Shoreline here in Connecticut to our favorite restaurant for uh, a lunch. A lunch. And um, we're about a good forty minutes away from. Um, that part of the shoreline, so on and so forth. So we left, and we're driving down to Clinton, Connecticut, Madison, Connecticut, that area. And I said to her, well, let me stop at that co-op antique shop in Clinton. Let me see if there anything is there. And for some reason, while we're driving down there, we're also talking about my father who passed away quite a few years ago, for whatever reason. So we get to the uh, Clinton antique co-op, which is about I would say about 40, 45 different dealers. They have the uh, a setup with regards to the um, their material. They have, like, display cases. Some have it in the open, so on and so forth. And it's a pretty big area to, to walk around and look at stuff. Now, we probably go, go to that particular uh, co-op three times a year. And I usually once a year hit on something, picking something, I, I found yeah. some nice publications there over the years. A few odds and ends. Stuff. So we go in there, we're walking around, and I find a dealer who has a bunch of publications there, all sorts of publications. So I end up picking from that dealer 
uh, a 61 and 1963 Street and Smith uh, football guide. I picked up a not in great shape, a 1952 True Football Yearbook with Otto Graham on the front cover. And then I picked up something I, I honestly never saw before. I never even knew existed. Was a giant uh, from Globe Publications, a giant puzzle book on football. Fall 1976 was the second edi- uh, second copy in their run. And the front cover shows Joe Namath in Super Bowl three throwing over the um, throwing over the um, the uh, heads of the Colts. So oh, yeah. I, I picked it up. I, I was amazed to see it. And in doing so, I I picked those four up. And then what I did was to pick up uh, at another booth, and I told you about this. It seems to be a, a piece of 1963 Tops football sheet that is was a, a piece of printer's scrap. And the top row are six Redskin players, and the bottom row are six Cleveland Brown players. The numbers on the back of the sheet, and it's badly cut, are going from number 18, Jimmy Ray Smith, to number 23, Bob Gaines. And then on the row on top of it goes from number 163, John Nisby, to number 168, Claude Crabb of the, of the Redskins. And it's cut pretty bad, to say the least. But I, yeah. I thought it was an interesting piece, and I, I thought it would, it would be a good conversation piece. And I know down the road somebody like you or somebody else would be interested in it, and I would, <laughs> I, I would uh, pass it on to the, the other person. What's interesting to me is that at the same co-op, maybe, and I, I didn't have time to look in my notebook, probably six or seven years ago, I bought three strips of 1960 Fleur football cards, the same, almost the same type, only there were seven in each row of these, uh, of, of one sheet, and the other sheets were like 10 card uh, strips. And I was just amazed to see them because I'm saying, again, this must be printer's crap, and I don't know where they came from. You know what I mean? So I yeah. thought it was an interesting it's interesting pick, but here was the kicker, although it's not football-related. I look at a lot of yearbooks uh, when I go to antique shops <laughs> or paper shows. I especially look at college yearbooks to see if there are any well-known college players, football players in the book, so I'll, and I'll pick them up. But uh, in, in this antique co-op shop, there's one dealer that has a lot, always has had a lot of yearbooks. And for whatever reason, I'm looking through them, looking through them, and then I see a 1939 Elm City yearbook. And I said to myself, oh, yeah. that's my father's yearbook. He graduated in 1939 from Hell House High School. Oh, so sure gosh. enough, I pull it out. I know it's not his yearbook because my sister has his yearbook. And I opened it up, and I see my father signed the yearbook for the gentleman who owned it. And I saw, I, and I remembered immediately the yearbook because I looked at it when I was a kid for many years. And uh, my father signed his name, for whatever reason, Walter Von Swick, which made no sense to me, but uh, I, I just found that very interesting. So I went up to the counter with all my, my picks, started talking to the two guys behind the counter, and I explained to them this was my father's yearbook, yada, yada, yada. I showed it to them. I showed them my driver's license for them to know that I, I am a Swick also. And uh, they couldn't get over it, so then we ended up, talking about it when I was saying my father shortly after he got out of high school ended up joining the army for World War II and then he didn't get home until 1945 so it was a pretty interesting story and uh, they gave me a yearbook which was cute but uh, I said no I'll pay the price on it he said no 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 no. we gotta give you a discount on it and uh, it it was funny but uh, I, I always like going going to the the unknown like antique or paper shows more so than card shows because you really never know what you can find at those different yeah, um, what, what places to, to buy. I hate to, hate to ask this. I hate to ask this again, Captain. What did he? Uh, uh, what did he find the, the the yearbook as? 
Walter von Vion Swick. It may not it may not sound to either me or my sister, but I I vaguely remember for whatever reason um the he was nicknamed for some reason it sticks out of my mind. My sister remembered it too. Some guys used to call him Von Swick for the way he looked. He had a full head of hair, was very looked very dapper when he was younger. So that might have been his nickname. I have no idea. I'll, I'll never know either. So it, it was it was just fascinating to me to see. <laughs> and you obviously just found this, so there's you know no way to figure out what's your what's your dad's real name. Well, it was it was Walter Swick, Walter Harry, Harry Swick. So I don't know where he got the uh, the Von from. So, but it was, it was it was an interesting read to read to say the least. But well, that's you got pretty any, cool uh, that you found. Yeah, that's really cool that you found. Uh, you know, a uh, a yearbook from your dad, and uh, and he'd signed it. Yep, yep. It it just amazes me to say the least. <laughs> amazes me. It's really you got cool. any good uh, any good picking stories over the years? I, you know, I I know my place in this hobby of ours, Captain. Uh, and uh, I've been to many, many nationals where, where people, you know, where the idea of a good time for people is to pull a chair up to the dollar card bin and sift through it looking for that diamond in the rough. Uh, right. That, that, is not my, that is not my place in this hobby. Uh, you know, I'm at the bottom of the food chain. There's the people who find the card. There's the people who grade the card. They sell it to a dealer who then sells it to me. Now, I'm, I'm I'm happy to admit I'm the I'm the consumer who walks into you know Best Buy and you know and buys a boombox. Uh, so uh, my uh, my my stories of finding you know gems in the ru- in the rough at at shows are uh, <laughs> mostly trade secrets. It's uh, I think I told you like five six years ago I was collecting the '57 top set in PSA eight and I was collecting yeah. the Zeke Gratkowski card. And, you know, I, year, a couple of years ago, you know, about five, six years ago, I ended up buying an uncut sheet of 57 tops from Huggins and Scott, I believe. And in the top left corner, the pole position was uh, Zeke Bradkowski. So I, I know why he, his card is so tough. But unless you collected that set you'd, or you were a Pittsburgh, you know, fan, you'd never heard of Zeke Bradkowski. Uh, and, uh, so I, I spent an entire national once just walking up to every football set, you know, every football, you know, a booth. You have 57 tops, you know, Ross. And I would go through and I would find every single Zeke. And, and then I'd look at it like, is this a seven or an eight? And I ended up buying about a dozen of them. Uh, so, you know, back at the bar, you know, on a Friday and, you know, you know we're exchanging war stories and a dealer friend of mine said, what'd you get? I'm like, well, I, I bought these Zekes. You know, I, uh, you know, and who the hell is Zeke? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I ended up telling him the story. The next year, uh, he beats me to the national by by like two days. He's you know the dealer open you know at you know Tuesday and then you know checking the floor right, Wednesday, right. and then th- Thursday afternoon I get there, meet him up, and he shows me a handful of Zeke Bradkowski's that he picked out, and I was like, damn it, okay, no more trade secrets to dealers. And he he got a PSA eight out of one of them, which kind of frustrated me. So my well, diamond in the rough was. Usurped by a dealer, <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. I mentioned I found a, a, a Boltosi, you know, in an auction, uh, but you know that's not not really my station in life. My 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 station is to have a dealer reach out to me and hey, I just bought this Boltosi at a legendary. It was raw, and I, you know, cleaned it up a little bit, gave it a bath, got it graded, and here she is. You want to buy it? And I say hell yeah, uh, and I'm good with that. I I have more important things. I'd, I'd prefer to play golf with friends or hang out with friends, you know, at a national or Mm -hmm. even just it's relaxing to hang out at the BST booth just to hang out. Uh, Rather that than, you know, plop, plop myself in front of a, you know, you know, and, you know, middle-aged, you know, grumpy old man selling cards, you know, (laughs) who uh, doesn't, doesn't speak a word to me and sitting there for 20 minutes, sifting through cards that have been sifted through a hundred times and, yeah, I don't know. I floor and glance, and if I see something that attracts me, then I pull into the, you know, that I'll, you know, yeah, you know what I mean. So, 
right. Yeah. It's, well, you uh, know, it's, it's interesting because when uh, I was in um, with Jeff Payne and the guys at the Valley Ford show, we actually walked at, you know, we're at dealer's booths where there was not even an acknowledgement, and you got four guys staring at cards. You think he would, you know, the guy would say, can I help you with anything? Do you want to look at anything? You know, and we're like looking at him. And and like we're saying too, you know, we shouldn't be the first ones trying to trying to make the move here. Just why don't you guys, you know, be friendly. You know, you probably would sell half your inventory there type of thing. But I, I do agree with you. You know, it's it's tough. Tough being a dealer is seeing people just, you know, pull the seat up and then they go and spend two hours with uh, a $3 sale, you know, that type of situation. But that's the way our hobby is. That's it. Nothing can do about it. Oh. Yeah. But yeah. That well, I don't mind that. I, I don't mind that. I, uh, and I'm certainly not jealous or envious of the person who, you know, you know, sees me in the bar afterwards. They're like, hey, check this out. I mean, if it's a Jim Thorpe postcard, I'm going to be pissed. Uh, you know, but if it's, yeah, you know, yeah. hey, check this out. I found this Unitas, you know, in a BGS 7, and I'm pretty sure I can crack it. And, you know, I just did it and you know, got an 8 out of it. I, my first thought is congratulations. You know, you've got the diligence. Yeah, yeah. You've got the discipline to do that. I I, I do not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, and and I'm good with that. I, I, I like looking through, you know, catalogs. I, and, you know what? I've got a good enough relationship with enough people in the in the hobby that uh, I'm I'm lucky. I get phone calls. I'm I'm you know top three on a on a phone call list. You know, hey, I found this at a you know at a at a you know at you know whatever. Uh, I I, yep. I got it graded or you know here it is. It's very rare. You know, I want X for it. You know, do you want it? You're the first person I reached out to. Yes, I will take it for X. Thank you for calling me. You know. Yeah, and yeah. If, if if you're fair, if you don't, you know, go back and forth on a price too much, if you're cool to the person, then generally they'll keep calling you. That's what I like. And un- unfortunately, yeah. we see a lot of hammering of the price and, you know, a $100 card, well, I'm only going to give you 30 bucks for it type of thing. Well, you know, don't, yeah. don't be ridiculous in your offers. And, then a lot, and I see a lot of people do that. And, and uh, it's just not a good... Not not a good thing, and hopefully people realize right. that you know the, the person behind the the table there is there trying to actually a sell inventory and b is, has to make a profit to cover all his expenses, which may include transportation, overnight, food, uh, the the cost of the cards themselves, so on and so forth. So it's it's not any you know it's not easy doing it one way or the other. But I still enjoy yeah. going to antique shops, antique shows. I still enjoy going to paper shows because I do see, you know, since I do like publications, I do find from time to time interesting publications and or postcards and the like uh, yep. from from those types of shows. And I know I've done several times the Paper Mania show here in Hartford, Connecticut. And it's definitely a different crowd that attends those types of uh, shows. For example, the last time I was in Hartford set up, I had a gentleman who basically looked through every Sports Illustrated I brought there, and I asked him, are you a collector? And he says, I just collect the ads. I don't collect the magazines. <laughs> so a lot of those magazines, he was basically just going to slice up and take the ads out of them because he wanted the ads, which I find very interesting. But I was, that's a whole big thing market there, too, that individuals do that. Yeah. They find the old magazines. There's seven or eight ads that they want for their collection, and they and they slice it up that way, which is very interesting. Uh, you know, probably like uh, 13 years ago, um, you know, when I first started getting into the Hall of Fame set, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was, I was really active on the registry. Uh, this is back before your eBay ID was blanked out, so people knew who who were picking up cards. Uh, I just yeah. discovered PSA website, so I was, you know, like I said, active on the boards, the message boards there. And uh, there's a guy I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. There's a, a guy just kind of, you know, the banter back and forth. You have fun, and eventually it's like, you know, hey, you know, you, you know, you know, what's your phone number? Give you a call. And you end up talking to a lot of people. And at one point, the top 20 people on the registry, I had the, the phone numbers for like 16 of them. Uh, and would talk to about eight or nine of them, you know, actively. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm still friends with a couple of them. Uh, I, 
one guy lives in Australia. And last year, my family and I went to Australia, and I stayed four days at his house. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you pick up good friends. And uh, one guy wanted to sell. He reached out to a guy who, you know, to buy him, and the, the guy lowballed him. So he called me, and, uh, and it was, you know, some good mid-range cards, but pretty rare. And I remember, you know, the guy, like, you know, oh, I wanted, you know, you know three thousand for him, and he offered me, you know, twenty four hundred and this and this. And I'm like, I think they're worth three thousand. I'll, I'll give you three thousand. Really? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate it. I, they're great cards, man. You just saved me a bunch of time. Yeah, they're worth 3000 all day long. And uh, by the time the other guy had gotten back to him, like, okay, I'll give you 2500 You know, he got the satisfaction <laughs> of saying, never mind. Never mind. Somebody gave me 3000 And I got the cards, yeah. and I was happy with them. And about nine months later, the guy came forward, and he goes, hey, I'm going to sell off my other cards. I gave you first crack at them. And uh, – and, and I bought those too, and he gave me a deal. This time he gave me a deal, and it's just I've uh, I've always subscribed to that. You know, be cool, be fair. Uh, you know, you know, you know, be gracious and and you know, uh, be respectful about it. Yeah, like you said, the other the other right. the other right. 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 living, and uh, it's a hobby. Uh, you know, but you, you you know you don't need to you don't need to buy every card at the lowest and sell it at the highest. You know, sometimes. You know, you, you got to walk away with that win-win. And I, I just, every time I do that in a hobby, I just make another friend. And, uh, and it, it gives, you know, I, I just, I have people who, you know, probably about eight, nine times a year just call me with, you know, hey, I picked up this Thorpe thing. You want it? Hell yeah, I want it. What, what's your price? You know, 2000 bucks. Okay, that might be 100 bucks high, but in the entire scheme of things, 100 bucks. The guy reached out to me and gave me first whack at it. So hundred bucks, yeah, right. absolutely. Right. You know, and it's just it's it's almost, paid it's off in time. Like, it's almost like we need a um, a hobby etiquette lesson for some some people. I mean, I see it all the time. I've done shows for thirty plus years now, forty almost forty years, and I, I I've seen it all the time. And I think when the explosion of football cards hit from eighty nine up, it was like it, you know, it, it was a free for all. And I can't tell you how many times I had dealers come up to me or dealers call me, hey, listen, I'll trade you some 89 Pro set for your 66 Phillies. And I said, I would say, why would I want to do something like that? I mean, that, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. And it was always, well, you know, this is hot. You'll make your money on it. I said, I'm not going to make any money on it type of thing. Yeah. So it, it did not – it was not a good situation I want to say from roughly 89 to 92 in the, in the respect that I think a lot of material was mishandled, meaning that it was very underappreciated dollar-wise, and the newer stuff was overappreciated dollar-wise, only to see it today being worth, you know, three, four bucks at a show for, uh, you know, uh, pro se- or say 89 tops black, which is literally worthless type of situation. So it impacts it impacts the hobby in the long run because you know somebody who may be starting a collection at that time will say to themselves, "Well, this is a screwed up hobby. Everybody's just trying to take advantage <laughs> of everybody." I mean, it doesn't make any sense, you know. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of settled down, in my opinion. But again, it's it you know it's a valuable lesson for for everybody to to really understand. You know, there is a lot of time and, and money invested. So, you know, be respectful of what you offer type of situation. Yeah. And uh, and that's important, to say the least. No, and uh, I, I can remember once looking for a card and just traipsing through the internet and finding this obscure guy in Pennsylvania. And I can't remember his name, but uh, really, really nice guy. And I bump into him at the, uh, at the National all the time. We had him as a guest probably about six years ago, Bob, and, uh, and just – Found his website, called him. Yeah, you got these five ticket stubs I want. Yeah, they're still available. Okay, you have you have all five of them listed for you know six hundred total. You know what can you do? That was five fifty some. That sounds very fair. That's what I was thinking. Uh, you know, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, you know. How about I send you a check uh, to save on fees? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I'll give you free shipping if you send me a check. That sounds very fair. Thank you. I appreciate that. Check went in the mail. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he got the check. And he's like, "Thanks, received it. I'll ship it off." 
it's just that kind of mutual respect. I don't know. I just, uh, I'm right. big on that stuff. And I just, I find that the world repays you in kind, you know, if you do that. And, uh, you know, and I, to this day, that guy still reaches out to me and, uh, you know, about once a year now, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. All right, we're almost out of time. We've got, a, we've got about four minutes left. We're going to go into our two-minute warning and wrap up. Uh, just one quick mention, our spring issue of Great Iron Greats magazine will be out the week of April of uh, April 11th. And we've got a couple of interesting articles coming in, uh, especially on uh, the uh, old Denver Mile High Stadium. And we're also going to be looking oh. at uh, Martin Jacobs has a, a phenomenal, interesting article on paper, football paper. So I'll leave it like that. And it's a, it's a very, very, very interesting article. Say so at least we've got a couple other articles in, which I'm sure everybody would be interested in. If you are not a subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine, but you are a listener, Go to our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com, and become a subscriber. Four issues, twenty nine ninety five, long, long shelf life for your magazine as a reference tool and also as a, a very, very informational piece for the football hobby. What is the cutoff for getting uh, sending you articles that get into the next gridiron there, Captain? Uh, as soon as possible. <laughs> ah, but in your, I'm always, I'm always case, working on a couple articles, and I always, uh, I'm always behind the eight ball, aren't I? <laughs> well, we'll talk about it later. Don't worry about it now. But um, yeah, that uh, that's coming up. And again, we also have online on our website. If you don't have any issues of Gridiron Greats Magazine, you could buy our entire back run from issue twenty three to our current issue uh, at the scheduled price there. If you're interested, contact me on that. I'll be more than happy to help you out on it. But uh, that's what's coming up as far as our next issue of the magazine is concerned. After that, obviously, it's going to be the national issue. And uh, we've got a few surprises coming into that uh, upcoming. Well, Joe, we're almost out of time. And uh, we had a good discussion tonight on auctions, picking, the hobby in general, and I, I just never get tired of talking about football cards and football memorabilia and football history. I just think it's one of the neatest things to, to talk about. I just thoroughly enjoy it. And I also want to briefly mention uh, the Alliance of American Football is playing, and I, 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 I enjoy watching it when I get a chance, when I can, can pick it up over here. It's a pretty interesting league. It should be a good minor league for the NFL, if that's what they're going to use it for. Hopefully it'll be around for a few years. I know they're having some financial issues, but hopefully they can iron it out. And uh, I'll tell you, if I was close to one of those stadiums and they were playing, I'd definitely be a season ticket holder. <laughs> and I'd be there for every game enjoying nice. it, to say the least. I got all the teams following my Twitter uh, feed. Bob at Gridiron Great Magic. And uh, it's pretty interesting to, to read their stuff and to, to, to see what they, they're talking about. But it's a good league. I enjoy it. I enjoy watching them. I, yeah, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll say mom on that. I don't think I've watched it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. So, I, it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> the opening weekend, they were on uh, the local CBS channel here in Connecticut and uh uh, it was fascinating to watch. I mean, it just brought back so many memories of me years ago watching the World Football League when I could on a grainy black and white TV out of New York with uh, me missing half the game because the uh, connection failed. And then fast forward to the USFL, 83, 84, and 85. I loved watching the USFL. I just thought it was great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, that league, to say the least. All right, we're almost out of Nine. time. We're going to be back. Uh, hopefully next week with another show with our, a guest. And we'll be talking about that later. Joe, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Captain. Always a pleasure to be on. All right. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Ba, 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 ba.
Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.